Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop, and hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of my podcast today is Adam Honig, CEO of Spiro AI. Really good salespeople are really good at like in the moment, like having the conversation, really listening well, understanding what's happening, right? They're not the same people who are good at then typing all of that up. You know, it's just, it's a different skill, you know? And so the things that CRM asks them to do or the things that they're bad at, it's structurally flawed, right? And so it's, you know, the people, the salespeople who are really good at updating the CRM are the really bad salespeople. I had one sales VP telling me when he takes over a new job as a VP of sales, he looks to see who does the best job with CRM and he fires those salespeople. Crazy. This is Adam. He's worked his entire career in the technology industry. His specialty is building companies and organizations that sell and deliver enterprise software and solutions in the B2B space. All of the companies that he has founded were focused on dramatically improving their operations. Two of those companies went public, and two of them were successfully sold at favorable valuations. And although much has changed in technology business since he has started his career, he believes a few things always remain the same. It's all about the business outcomes and not the technology itself. You can never go wrong telling the truth. It's never worth it working with a jerk. And being the category king should always be your goal. After watching the movie Her, which shares a vision of artificial intelligence, played by the voice of Scarlett Johansson guiding sales reps to larger commission checks, he knew it was time to transform CRM and deliver the outcomes that the world had been waiting for. Today, he's the CEO of Spiro, a proactive relationship management platform. Spiro is on a mission to end an era where companies waste millions and millions of dollars on CRM. How? by creating a platform that works for salespeople instead of the other way around. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Adam to my podcast. We explore what's broken in CRM, and how the things that CRM demands its users to do is fundamentally flawed. Adam shares why the problem won't be solved by making existing solutions look nicer, that the solution is in doing things completely differently. We dig into the journey that Spiro has been through to create traction, and how it overcame the tough battle to get people to adopt new technologies. He also shares the big lessons learned in deeply understanding the real outcomes customers want to solve and what it requires to build a software business that stands out in a dense market. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, why we have to stop creating solutions that demand users to do things that they're not good at and principally despise. Focus on what they need to be successful instead. Secondly, 
that often the only way to deliver remarkable impact is to do the hard things first. Thirdly, why we should do away with the preconceived notion we know our domain like no one else. It can seriously get you stuck in sales. And fourthly, why it is key to set your ego aside as a CEO and invest time listening to your customers. Not leadership, but actual users. Not once, but weekly. Well, hi, Adam. Thank you for making the time available today and being a guest on my podcast. Yeah, my pleasure, Tan. Really nice to talk with you. It's a pleasure on my side. It's one of those cases, again, where I was on a hunt for compelling stories to share on the podcast, and I found one again. So I was really looking to this myself, being selfish. <laughs> yeah, your company, Spyro, when I found the website, a couple of things triggered me, and that's where I reached out and said, hey, there's a story here that needs to be amplified. Before we start talking about your company, a little bit about you, I'm not sure whether you've listened to any previous podcasts, but the question I typically like to ask at the beginning is if you would define yourself or characterize yourself as a CEO or as an entrepreneur, what words would you use? I would say passionate, you know, probably. I've worked almost my entire career in a domain of software that's called CRM, and yeah. I have a lot of passion about it, mostly hate though, I have to well, say. Well, that's what I was about to say. burns me with things. a fire that how terrible it is and how brutalized salespeople are by CRM. It's just the worst. And so it really gets me totally fired up. So that's why, you know, I would probably go with passion. Yeah. And I mean, just to stop you there, like the one line that typically also kind of triggered me was, okay, we're working hard to kill CRM. It's like, okay, here's a story. <laughs> so it's... <laughs> Well, let's go back to the dawn of CRM. So I, you know, Tom Siebel, you know, presenting CRM in the 1990s. Let's think about the important technological milestones that were around at that time. The video cassette player, the Walkman, you know, the Windows 95. You know, these were the technologies that were being used when CRM was invented. And if you fast forward to today, why are we still making our sales teams use this terribly antiquated software? It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, uh, of course, it has been taken to the cloud by Salesforce. <laughs> yeah. It's taken still to the people, cloud. So um, instead of typing in your notes into you know, your own machine, you're now typing it into the internet. Yes. We've come a long way, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I see some gray hair. People on the full podcast don't see that. But you started this company in 2014, which was that it took you a long time to get to the point. It's okay, now it's enough. <laughs> <laughs> what did you see? What sparked the moment where you say, okay, we're going to found this company and we're going to make an end to this? Well, before I started Spiro, I started a consultancy that I grew to be one of the largest worldwide consulting partners of Salesforce.com. Uh-huh. And so we worked with companies like the Anve Bay, KLM, you know, e-commerce bank in Germany, Charles Schwab in the US, Abbott Labs, and they would spend millions of dollars, millions of dollars with my company. We had like 700, 800 consultants to help them, you know, get Salesforce set up for them. And they would spend these millions of dollars to make Salesforce work for them. And then at the end of the day, nobody would use it. And people hated it. 
And so I would go to these customers and they would say, wow, we just spent a million dollars with your company to implement Salesforce. Only 30% of the sales team is even logging in. What can we do? And we would sell them more consulting so that they would try to get their sales team to use Salesforce. It was terrible. I did a training where we taught a sales team how to use Salesforce and somebody threw something at me. This is like the level of excitement of people for Salesforce. So I wound up selling the business. We sold it to Accenture. And it was the kind of situation that it made a lot of money, but it was kind of morally bad. You know, it was like it was like we were Tony Stark and we were selling munitions to people. It was like they would spend all this money and nobody would use it. And so I sold the business and I was trying to think of something else to do. And what happened for me personally was I saw a movie and it really changed my life. And that's what caused me to start Spiro. Good. So what was the movie about? I don't know if you've seen it. It's a movie called Her with Joaquin Phoenix. So it's a science fiction-y kind of movie, kind of weird. Spike Jones is the director. I love Spike Jones. He's done a bunch of interesting films. And so in the movie, in the future, not too distant future, Joaquin Phoenix downloads a new app on his phone. And the app on his phone is played by the voice of Scarlett Johansson. Now she's not in the movie, just her voice, but she yeah. like reads all of his emails. She sees through the camera so she knows what he's doing. She can listen to his phone calls and she gives him advice on what to do with his day. And she really helps him, you know, go through personal crises and he falls in love with her. It gets all weird, whatever. But I'm watching this movie, Tom, and I'm saying to myself, you know, this is what salespeople need. They don't need Salesforce. They need Scarlett Johansson telling them what to do all day. And that moment, I was like, yes, I know what I want to do with my next company. And so we set out to build a personal sales assistant that instead of being CRM, it would do all the things that Scarlett Johansson was doing, but in a sales context. And kind of along the way, we realized that we were really onto something that could totally disrupt the way that CRM is today. And so it's not an add-on. It doesn't plug into Salesforce. It replaces all of that crap with something that just works by itself to do things for salespeople and gives leadership the reports and the dashboards and the stuff that they need to run the business. But it has to do both. Yeah, that's why I started this podcast. And uh, it's Because of Scarlett Johansson? No, you no, no. met Scarlett Johansson and you said, okay, I need to start a podcast. I wish I could say that, but that wasn't the case. But it's those stories where we find new ways to blend technology with people in order to make those people do things they've never been able to do before or actually make them do things that create more value in these type of scenarios. So kudos for stepping up. And I mean, trade number three in my book, do something different rather than just better, because there's plenty of those CRM companies out there that think they can do it a little bit better than Salesforce. And we don't need that. No, no. I mean, Salesforce Um, itself is perfectly fine. You know, it doesn't need to be nicer looking. It just needs to be completely different. So in Salesforce, you know, you want to sell something to somebody. Well, you got to create a contact record. You got to create a company record. Why don't we, you know, add some notes? Why don't we do all this stuff? How about instead, because Spiro is just connected to your email, it just knows that you're having a sales conversation with somebody and it creates all of that stuff for you. Oh, and logs all of the information. And then because it has all of that and it notices that you haven't actually gotten back to them in a timely way, it says, hey, wait a second. What about this guy? We need to call this guy. 
different, right? It's Not different. the same thing at all. Exactly. Yeah, you can do so many things with that. And we always try to kind of make, well, to kind of create software that automates things and make things go maybe a little smoother and so on, but we still make people do those things where the best thing is possibly to take them away and just forget about that we ever, ever done that before and let people like focus their attention on the things that really matter. Well, so yeah, I that's, think, so that I was think the... in sales, it's really important because really good salespeople are really good at like in the moment, like having the conversation, really listening well, understanding what's happening, right? Yeah. They're not the same people who are good at then typing all of that up. You know, it's just, sure. it's a different skill, you know? And so the things that CRM asks them to do or the things that they're bad at, it's structurally flawed, right? Yeah. And so it's, you know, the people, the salespeople who are really good at updating the CRM are the really bad salespeople. I had one sales VP tell me when he takes over a new job as a VP of sales, he looks to see who does the best job with CRM and he fires those salespeople. Crazy, right? <laughs> Never looked at it from that perspective. You could be right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that was the big idea to create something that was different, radically different. What is the potential if the world starts to adopt this? So what are typical, yeah, the results that your customers see when they start this? What is the transformation? So one of the main things that causes people to investigate a solution like Sphero is lack of visibility into what's going on. Yeah. Understanding what's going on with your customer is a key goal for many organizations to be able to service them better and provide them better value. And you know, with traditional approaches, you might have your orders in your ERP, you might have, you know, sales data being terrible because it has to be all typed in by salespeople. You might have tickets or customer complaints in a different system and not have a unified view of what's happening. And so the tactical goal that we often see is, okay, how do we get all of our customer interactions into one place and have them be really accurate yeah, so we can do that? What kind of comes as a result of that is getting a deeper customer understanding, which can open up more strategic insights. So for example, from an ERP perspective, let's say you know we have ERP data connected to Spiro and we can see order history. Maybe there are some gaps in the order history. What does that tell us? You know, how can we learn about why that's going on based upon our interaction with the customer and how it relates to their order history? So we can start to understand better where the gaps may be in our relationships and the things that we're doing that drive dissatisfaction, that stop the relationship from getting stronger. True. That's often a result that we see. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the hidden, right? It's like the things yes. that you don't see yourself, the things that if you don't log it, you don't know it. And of course, when you get that to uh, almost 100% accuracy, yeah. you've got a completely different well, thing to start yeah. from. Yeah. That's the way, yeah. Oh, sure. So, well, to go on the approach of how you approach this, because CRM, of course, is like ERP. You already mentioned the word. It's like a huge thing. So when you started the company in 2014, you were going to the drawing board. What were the things you were deciding to start doing different from the start? Well, so we put the focus and the experience on what does the salesperson need to be successful? and not on what are the organizational goals. And most CRM approaches start with what does the company want and how do we get the salespeople to do it? We made certain 
you know, conscious decisions like we're going to start mobile first. Salespeople are quite often, you know, with customers, they're in the field. We need to build something that works really well in a small form factor. And so we decided to use email as an example of that. And so we said, wouldn't it be great if you could just email Spiro instead of having to even log into an app? And you can ask it questions via email. You can send it data via email. You can get recommendations via email to kind of meet the user where they are. That was a main design consideration that we took right from the front. We actually didn't build any reporting or management dashboards or anything like that in the platform for like three years until we felt really good about the fact that it was very useful for the sales team itself. And only when we felt like we had that use case worked out well, then we could move to account managers because they work in a different way than new business reps, right? True. And we could move to leadership and how they look at things. We took a deliberately slow approach to rolling out additional things because we felt like it was a tricky problem to solve. Yeah. You took a really a persona approach and start to kind of walk in their shoes and get the empathy. Yeah. But what they need to succeed. That's a very good, starting from the outcome perspective and then trying to work your way back in a, yeah, in a non-generic way because it's very yeah, specific. Yeah. Well, I think you know, part of the reason why we did that isn't because we're so smart, but it's because we saw so many failures at my last company of doing it the other way. You know, yeah, just true. time and time again. Let me make a small interruption here. Adam just shared one of the secrets behind the momentum they are seeing. It's in their ability to create a product that their core users salespeople would miss if you would take it away from them. They realize it is about focusing on the essence, i.e. solving the most valuable and critical problem for salespeople. They also realize they cannot please everyone at the same time. Hence, saying no is critical, even though what they're asking for is almost alike. And lastly, they realize that this is about being different, not just better. These are clear examples of three of the 10 traits remarkable software companies master. And you can master these traits as well. And I got various options for you to start. Just go to valueinspiration.com to learn about the masterminds and the work streams to put the fundamental building blocks in place to fast track the growth of your software business. And while you're there, don't forget to grab a free Kindle version of my book, The Remarkable Effect, to start sparking new inspirations in the next 30 minutes. Back to the interview. At the end, it's all about people. You know, The company is, and the sales force is all about people. They need to make it happen. And like you say, the people that are fantastic in keeping their CRM up to date are possibly the worst salespersons. <laughs> because that's what I think their important work happens. So what was the hardest nut to crack yeah, in doing this? Well, or I think... change behavior, it, maybe. Yeah. So getting people to adopt any new technology is hard. Yeah. And so we took a number of different approaches to doing that, some of which worked really bad. <laughs> And so, for example, when we started, so one of the things that Spiro does is it'll give you recommendations about people that you should reach out to based upon the data. And, you know, we put a scoring system in place that every time it said, hey, call Joe. After you call Joe, it'd say, hey, how good was that recommendation? And so it was kind of like a rating scale. And we thought that would really help us improve Spiro because we'd get, you know, high and low ratings. The algorithm would learn. But it turned out that everybody just hated giving us that rating. (laughs) So we couldn't do that. 
What we had to do is use the system itself to give us the feedback. So if we recommend that you call Joe, you know, we needed to look at the data downstream months from then to see, was that the right thing? And so there was no shortcut to the solution. We actually trained the software with 15,000 salespeople using it for free for about a year and a half to give us the model that we needed. And that was really expensive, I have to say, but it was a great foundation for the product. So building up that data set and the model to understand what the recommendation should be was probably the hardest thing that we had to do. And so we're doing this, I don't know, you know, about seven years at this point. And one of the things that we're introducing now, only now, are we able to actually allow companies and people to tune the model? So for example, some companies have really long sales stages. Some companies have really short sales cycles, excuse me. And Spiro will recognize that based upon the data, but it might not be what you want. You might want to have a shorter sales cycle. And if Spiro is only seeing what it is, it's going to be, okay, it takes you 180 days to sell something. That's fine. We'll just keep the recommendations going for 180 days. Maybe you want to... Express- this is exactly what keeps them up at night because... Exactly. It, it's, exactly. It, should 30, it should be 30 days. So, but no, now it's... you can like explicitly teach Spiro that that's what you want. But, you know, to layer that into all of this data science is a very complicated undertaking. Exactly. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because 180 days, it's... And normally the number should go down anyway over time, but people really get the hang of it in terms of like, how do you get those deals in? Yeah. Then you have things like COVID or other external factors that impact the sales cycle. And, you know, you 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 have to build resilience into the approach, you know? Well, now that you're talking about it, this is the theme of my second book, Remarkable Resilience. So what did you see when COVID hit the market? Your solution was out there for a good five years, Mm -hmm. almost six, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, what's happened? Well, I'll give you a couple of data points that I think are really interesting. So we publish a weekly sales blog, and we have about 40,000 subscribers to the sales blog. And in the first two months, so let's say April and May of 2020, the bounce rate for the email list went from, you know, like a half a percent, one percent, you know, percent to like five percent. 8%, 10%, as a lot of salespeople were either lost their jobs or put on furlough and things like that, because companies didn't want you out visiting your customers. We have two, now three customers who are minor league baseball teams in the United States, and they let go their entire sales teams because there was no baseball season for them in 2020. We have a large Canadian manufacturer of fabrics. And they put their entire 100 salesperson team on leave for, you know, that quarter. And so for the sales industry, you know, it was a very challenging moment. I mean, in tech, we were fine because we were always doing things on Zoom and stuff like that. But if you're selling large equipment, you can't just show somebody the big equipment on Zoom. You have to bring it to their plant and explain to them how it works and stuff like that. And so it took a long time for a lot of our customer sales teams to kind of get back. To where they were. And it was tricky for us. I mean, we sell annual contracts, so our business wasn't much affected by, you know, temporary changes in staffing. 
But how do we support these customers during that time? You know, how can we make Spiro help them navigate this crisis for them? That's what we put a lot of, you know, effort into. And even now, the world has changed. And a lot of our customers, because we do a lot of business with industrial manufacturing businesses, and their issues are not really about, hey, how do I sign up new customers? It's how can I make enough for the demand that I'm seeing? Because supply chains are very, very impacted. And so from a sales perspective, it becomes, how do I maximize profitability in my sale? It's not, how do I just get the highest volume? So I need to know who are my most profitable customers? What are my margins at? What are the long-term relationships I can really invest in? And so we've had to kind of shift the way that we've been thinking about the problem to accommodate that. Yeah, these are shifts that come at you and they're suddenly there. And then it's about... How quickly can you respond to things? So what did you do internally in order to make the shift to stay on top, to have the right sensors out there? Because a lot of companies either don't want to hear it or they just simply miss it. Yeah. So we started doing this thing about a year ago now where we do myself and my CTO, we do product interviews with not the leadership of our customers, but individual salespeople who are using the software. And we do two or three of these meetings a week where we actually ask the customer to show us how they use the product. And a lot of what we get is product feedback ideas, you know, and we watch them, how they're using it. And we can tell that they're not doing the things that we thought that they would, (laughs) you know, when we built the software. So it's really valuable from that perspective. But what we also started hearing were these business trends. And when you speak to, you know, two, three people a week who are in the field, dealing with issues, trends tend to come up. And we were able to hear that and use some of our consulting skills that we had from our past company and say, ah, I'm seeing the bigger picture trend here of how things can go forward now. And that's how we really learned about that. I don't think there's a shortcut. I think you just need to do the work to really listen. Yeah, that's Uh, the second time you bring that point up. There are no shortcuts. I mean, you have to go deep. You have to really understand, have the empathy for what's being done and make the right decisions on that front. Exactly. And I think having a low ego is really important in this sense. You know, like not being like, oh, we've got this company and we're doing so great and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's not about that. You know, it's about like putting yourself in a position where you're really there to help other people in a way. You know, and that's if you keep that as your mindset, when you're speaking to people, all kinds of great things are going to come out to build a relationship and to help them. Well said, well said. And that's how I feel about it as well. Have a low ego. I mean, I've never labeled it like that. Yeah, what you typically see is that complacency at some point starts to kick in. And then these are indeed about those stories that were so great. And what we're doing is the right thing. Yeah, until it's not. So talking about, yeah creating the growth and creating momentum with the solution. What was the moment where that started to happen? So, you know, when we first started selling Spiro, so we went through a period where it was for free and we trained the model and we started selling it, you know, to companies. We initially sold it to everybody. You know, anybody that we could find, we sold it to. And that was fine. But after about two years, we realized that our most successful customers were in the manufacturing space. And we don't have a background in manufacturing. We didn't specifically design it with manufacturing in mind, but our manufacturing companies, they kept buying more and more. 
and they kept referring us to their customers. And we started adding more and more things for manufacturing companies, like integrating with ERP data models and things like that. And at some point we were like, oh, wait a second, we should really just only do manufacturing and, you know, wholesale distribution related industries. And that was the thing where, you know, we were like, oh, this could really be helpful for us. And that was at the point where growth really started to kick in for us and getting that specialty. And I think when you're an entrepreneur and you build a product, you want everybody to use it. And it's really hard to say, we're only going to focus on this subset of people because in a way you feel like you're limiting your potential. And so I think we were a little bit resistant to that initially, but when we got to that point, we realized that our win rate was three times as high in manufacturing as anything else. And we should just do that. Like, I mean, it's great that we've got these minor league baseball teams using Spiro and I am a big baseball fan, but, you know, it's just never going to be as important, you know, to them as it is to a manufacturing company. So, you but know. again, it's about, there is no shortcut and it's really the empathy and really understanding yeah, that you're solving a problem and yeah. you likely have been either have been lucky in solving a problem that was more dominant in one industry than the other and that they started to pick it up i mean it's chapter number one in my book remarkable software companies realize that they cannot please everybody and the moment you start to have get that mindset things will start to take off yeah and it feels yeah, yeah. super counterintuitive because your total addressable markets will shrink and <laughs> what are we doing here but yeah dominate it first i would say and then go to an adjacent market yeah yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're not very smart, but we figure it out over time. That's our motto, you know. Well, yeah, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you're open for those type of ideas and willing willing to change. Well, talking about my book now, I've mentioned it twice as well. It's full of it's revealing the 10 traits that define a remarkable software business. And you've been an entrepreneur yourself, and especially in the software business now for the last seven years. What do you believe that? A company, what traits does a company need to have in order to create something that keep people just keep talking about or to create something that people would miss if it were gone? I think that there's a number of different paths to be successful. But, you know, for me, you know, we, we touched on this earlier. It's really about the listening and having that as the key initial skill. I feel like, you know, I wish that I had done more of that earlier in Spiro, you know, but I think you could always say things like that. But I feel like if you, you know, if you have a product and you can talk to people who use it and iterate on what they're saying, you know, and, you know, keep that process going, you know, yeah. you will find, you know, how to make it, you know, useful for them. I definitely feel like having that strong listening area is really important. I'm also biased. I feel like having domain expertise is important too. And, you know, having spent 20 years with CRM, I feel like it's a lot easier for me to say, these are the problems than somebody who may not have had that. So yeah. I, I definitely look for domain, you know, experience. And probably the third thing, and I'm not putting these in any order, but, you know, you mentioned this before, and I completely agree with you. This is a people business. I think that people from the outside, they look at software as sort of a product business where you have this code that does certain things. It's not about that at all. And so it's about recruiting, building a team, making the team feel unified in the purpose that they're trying to achieve, you know, and sort of yeah. having that 
mix in with the company is super critical. So, you know, listening, you know, and iterating domain experience, and then being able to forge a team of yeah. people to achieve something. That's for me, what I would pick. Yeah, these are well-chosen topics. And I completely agree with that. They're critical for success and for and to keep success as well. I mean, one of the things I talk about in the book as well is about curiosity. Yeah, and that comes with the listening. And if the listening is active, that's so not intended to give an answer. That's, yeah, where you, where you learn and where you start connecting dots. That's super powerful. So kind of on that whole journey, what was possibly the biggest obstacle for you to overcome? Biggest obstacle to overcome... I'm going to just say that I think it was our preconceived notions. Just my mindset is I don't often think of external obstacles. <laughs> I think of what are the things that I'm doing to get in my own way, you know, and this is something that my partner, whose name is Andy, and I fought about a lot about how do we solve the problem? Like, you know, what is it that the salesperson really needs? You know, what is our notion? So I'll give you an example. In software, the way we do sales in software, we have a very opportunity-driven model because there's always thousands of new companies that we need to sign up. Yep. For a company that sells fabric in Canada, they actually have every customer they'll ever have. You know, maybe there's a few more every year. So they don't need to manage opportunities per se. They need yep. to have a great relationship with all of the companies that they do business with, and then yep. they'll get the most orders. And so it's this preconceived notion of the way that we think about doing sales that doesn't necessarily apply to other businesses that, you know, kind of gets in our own way of things. When we demo, when we talk to customers, we have our business context and we need to separate from that. Am I yeah. being clear about that at all? Completely clear. The assumptions yeah, can take you in areas and can, can get you completely wrong. And it can, it can help you lose a deal, but that's completely right. right. And then you customers. never know why. You no, know? exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I see that also with the customers I work. One of them was in the e-commerce industry and the promise was the shortcuts to e-commerce where the customers were saying, well, that's all fine, but that's only one step in the whole process. What we're buying it for is that we have a very strong backbone to keep our long-term relationship going because they always come to the office to talk with us and now they're going online and ordering there. Yeah, that's where, where things break up. Yeah. So it's a completely different connection point terms of where the value was really at. Let me see. Talking about customers and the magical things that they do with your software as it kills ERP, it kills CRM, it kills ERP. What are you most proud of? I mean, is there any anecdotes where from one of those customers where you say, I keep talking about it? You know, I had a chance to be in Houston, Texas recently, where we have a bunch of customers and we have a customer down there who is in the industrial saw business. So I have a picture of me in front of this saw blade. It must be 10 feet tall. I'm not very big, but I look really small in front of this humongous saw. You know, their teams are all around Texas, you know, dealing with saws and construction and all this whatnot. And I had lunch with one of their sales managers and he was just telling me about how having everything at the touch of his finger when he goes and talks with people just makes his life so much easier every day. And that was for me just a beautiful thing to hear. So that was that was when I really enjoyed doing that. We were a little bit constrained visiting with people in person this year, but that for me really gets me sort of fired up, you know, exactly. to, to yeah, of course. get That's real life examples. Yeah, exactly. That's where it makes the difference. And if your customers kind of mirror that back to you, it's like, okay, we've done the right thing here. 
and it does make a difference. And yeah. for me, so we had another customer that we visited in Texas. And when they kind of say back to me the things that I'm hoping for that I've never met before, and, and the lady at this other company said to me, she said, you know, we tried with Salesforce for three years and we did get it up and running after three years, but in two months, Spiro just completely was better. I was like, that's amazing. I love hearing that, you know? And it's just a different approach that you're taking here. Yeah, that's what made me feel special as well. Yeah. Then you've achieved something that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. So from the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained over the last couple of years, the CEOs listening to this podcast, people that aspire to start a software business or like a business in itself, what would be a do or a don't or end a don't that you could share with them? Well, I mean, for people who are considering starting their own business, I am a big supporter of people starting their own businesses. I do want to say that unless you really have that passion and the fire and the drive to do it, and you're going to get up every morning and get out of bed and work hard and make it happen, if you're not that person, it's not for you because... It's hard work, you know, and it takes a long time. Like I never thought seven years would go by, boom. And then, you know, we're doing great, but, you know, we thought we were going to be ruling the world in seven years. And there's a lot of work to do to make that happen. So it's the kind of thing where you're like, maybe I should, then don't. If it's the kind of thing where it's like, I must do this, then that's the thing for you. So that's what I would say for people who are thinking about starting their own business. Yeah, it goes back to the whole notion of vision, right? I recently had Radhika Dutt on my podcast who just published a book last week, Radical Product Thinking, and she sort of outlines how to create a great vision. And what she said was like, if the vision is so good that even if you were not involved in that, you would still want it to happen. That's the, the type of energy that needs to be in that idea to start it. And if it's just like, I'm going to make a new app or I'm going to make another CRM, sure, but... <laughs> What about, it's about a transformation that you want to see happening. What exactly, exactly. I think having a really clear rallying cry is important. Of course, exactly. we have the slogan to kill CRM. It's on our website. It's in all of our things. I've got a coaster here on my desk with kill CRM on it. <laughs> and it's a little bit of a weird message, right? Because it's a negative. Like you hate to be out there with like a negative thing. But in our case, it's just like, it's listen, there's an evil, you know, around the world and we're going right after it. Also happens to be the most successful software company like in the past 20 years, but let's ignore that part of the equation. Why don't you? I'm going to introduce you to someone that's in my tribe. You will have a good laugh together. Similar type of spirit there. Yeah. Let me see. What is next? I mean, where do you see this going? I mean, if there's no CRM anymore and Spiro is now is taking off and the way you aspire it. What do you believe is the next big thing there? We call what we're doing proactive relationship management. And sort of the idea is that proactive to me means that the software does things for you. You know, everything from, oh, it creates the contact. Oh, it finds the phone number. Oh, it alerts you when the customer is not ordered enough recently in its opinion. And so it comes to you instead of you coming to it. And we have a long, long way to go before we, you know, can declare success in having proactive relationship management. But I can envision a world where all software is proactive. 
you know, your ERP is proactively, you know, coming at you with information, or maybe the payroll is saying, oh, I think everything's fine this week, but I noticed, you know, Jan worked more. So we'll up her, like, whatever. I don't know what these things are. Exactly. Like that could be the whole world, the way that software works, you know, like why just CRM? Exactly. That is what is the difference between automation and augmentation, I would say. It's actually giving you insights that you didn't possibly have yourself. You couldn't see yourself, but it's those nuggets to guide you on doing the best possible thing with the time you have on a day. Yeah, no, that's I, right. I love that concept. I love that concept. I like the category name as well, Proactive Relationship Management. Yeah. It now, if we only had Scarlett Johansson on our board of directors, then we would really be someplace. But, you know, she's been really busy recently so it just has the timing hasn't worked out i don't think one point in time that will happen i'm sure if there was anything we can do on the audience side you know people listening to this podcast you could ask a question what would the question be how can we help you well you know i think that like many new software companies exposure and getting people to be aware of our solution is the biggest challenge that we have and so if people wanted to you know take a look at spiro.ai and see if that was applicable to them or somebody that they knew that would be amazing certainly i'm perfectly happy to connect with people on linkedin or twitter adam honig you know uh, of course i've got the dutch last name of the famous dutch soup company exactly. the honig soup i don't know if you ever ate that in the netherlands people always. would always bring me boxes. yeah yeah no relation as far as i know but yeah so you can reach out to me on those platforms always happy to help but in terms of things for me you know i would say you know probably most importantly that not to settle for what the status quo is. That in any field, in any domain that you're looking at today, there are entrepreneurs like myself and Tan out there who are working to overthrow the old methods. And so if you're thinking about project management software, if you're thinking about CRM, if you're thinking about ERP, there's new approaches that you should be thinking about and checking into before just saying, oh, SAP, we must go with that or whatever, you know, like, because the world has never been sharper, I think, for innovation than it has been right now. And with all of the new technologies that came out in the past 20 years are really just being used now to be successful with it. It takes a long time for that stuff to happen. And it's really happening now. So I would check it out. I got nothing to add to that. I couldn't have said it better myself. So thank you very much, Adam, for this. Yeah. Passionate interview. I like the drive and the energy. Thank you for sharing the wisdom, the examples, the anecdotes. I think we can learn a lot from those approaches. Good luck in the next phase of growing the company. Right on. Well, appreciate it. It was fun talking with you. And this ends my conversation with Adam. And I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, Thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Adam Honig, CEO of Spyro AI. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby 
at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.